Well, the, the sermon uh, this morning, our text that we're focusing on is Jonah chapter 1. It's the whole chapter. And um, so you can, you can direct your attention there now, but as you're kind of orning, orienting yourself towards Jonah this morning, I, I think it's really clear, at least in our culture, but in my life, as I, I remember growing up and my dad would give me certain rules or instruction. And depending on my age, they seem like really arbitrary instructions or commands. Clean your room, you're grounded, you need to do your homework by this time, whatever it is. This day you're going to, or even with basketball, you're going to do this many drills today because you're weak with your left-handed layups, whatever it was. And I didn't like getting this kind of instruction from my dad, really any kind of instruction. And as as I've reflected on that, I think we live in a culture that, that maybe is particularly suspicious of instruction of any kind um, I think I think that might be right but I, if I'm honest with myself it's not so much the instruction that I am suspicious of it's the instructor I'm suspicious of the instructor when I I kind of balk at the commandments or the instruction that I get because I don't believe that the instructor has my good in mind I don't believe that they're faithful to me I just think these are arbitrary rules that they've pulled off the shelf given to me and they don't really have anything to do with my flourishing. And I think oftentimes our posture towards God and, and His law or His commandments on our lives or His Word or the things of the church, it's one of suspicion. It's one of suspicion. And we're going to be reading in Jonah chapter 1 about a prophet who is deeply suspicious of God and His commandments on his life. And so I just want to ask this question that's going to guide the way we're going to handle our time together in Jonah chapter 1. Who is this God that we're suspicious of? Who is this God that Jonah is suspicious of and that, we're, as we're going to see, runs away from and tries to escape? And so this morning, the, the goal here is to try to answer that question from this passage and to learn with Jonah who this God is. So if you'll direct your attention now, Jonah chapter 1, this is God's Word. He's given it to us. Because he loves us. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and so that the, sh- the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners who were afraid, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the the gods will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, 
What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew and more the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. I know it's because of me that this tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men throwed harder, try to get back to land they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to, their, to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not, a, not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do come to You thankful for Your Word and how You speak to us through it. And You nourish us in very particular ways to make us more like Your Son, Jesus Christ. This is what You're doing now. In the reading of Your Word and now in the proclamation of it, be with me, a sinner, imperfect. Even as I stand behind this pulpit, I pray that You would nourish all of us uh, with this passage of Your Holy Word. And we pray through Christ. Amen. So the first thing that we read here is that the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. If you read that phrase, the Word of the Lord came to someone in the Old Testament, that's the author's way of designating for us that the person receiving the Word is God's prophet. There weren't many prophets that were true prophets in the Old Testament. Jonah was one of them. And so when you read that phrase, you know prophetic responsibilities are about to come. God has got a job for Jonah. That's what, and so the reader wants to get our attention in that way. And so Jonah receives a call from the Lord, and that's to arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it. There's all kinds of things that have been written about Nineveh. Jonah has sparked a lot of uh, scholarly interest in the uh, in Nineveh. How big it was, how many people lived there, what evil God was so upset with. But what what's clear for us, and without getting into to all those things is that the fact that God sent a prophet to Nineveh is a testament to just how evil it was. Like God sent Jonah there because it was so evil. And so the the first few verses that we get a very simple reading here. The Word of the Lord comes to him like oftentimes uh, is the case for prophets. He gets instructions, but what happens next is not so simple. Well, we read in verse 3, if you look down there again, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And what's repeated, if you noticed in in the reading, the phrase, from the presence of the Lord, is repeated throughout this chapter. And so the point is this, God wants no part of God and His call. He's suspicious of this God. And so we're told that Jonah went down to Joppa. It's another repeated phrase that's that's sort of a poetic way of saying that Jonah, as he's running away from the presence of the Lord, he's going down and down and down. Author's doing that on purpose. He boards the ship and sails away from the presence of the Lord. Sometime after Jonah boards the ship, you know what happens? There's a storm. There's a storm and it threatens to break up the ship. This is a severe storm and as as you might imagine, the, the, the mariners, the sailors... 
um, began to really freak out about this storm. And what's interesting, if you look down at verse 5, if you can find it there, um, Jonah's response to this storm is really interesting because the sailors are so afraid, but Jonah is taking a nap. Jonah is taking a nap. And so, literally unaware of the storm that is surrounding him on all sides, Jonah is in a deep sleep. And a lot of people will say, you know, how can he be sleeping? (laughs) And a lot of people have just highlighted Jonah is either deeply depressed and he's asleep because he doesn't want to be awake, or he's deeply exhausted from travel. But there's a storm going around on all sides of Jonah, but he's asleep. And they find him, the mariners do, and they ask him, when they say, what do you mean, O sleeper? That's just their way of saying, how in the world are you sleeping right now? Do you see what's happening? I hear the ship making noises it's never had before, and we're freaking out, and you're sleeping. So they want the storm to stop. And so what we see in these few verses is that God calls out to Jonah. Jonah runs away to try to escape God and His call. And then we get a storm. And so what we see is this. God's response to Jonah is this storm. God's first response to Jonah is a storm. And so we have to say, which we'll develop in a, little, in a second, is that we have to call this storm a storm of love. This is a storm of love. This isn't, um, this isn't punishment. This is God pursuing Jonah. So what we see when we've asked this question, who is this God that Jonah is suspicious of? The first thing that we see in this scene is that God is a God who pursues us by correcting. This is a God who pursues us by correcting. Now again, thinking back to my own childhood with my dad, but it's, it's just the case. You know, children... They're, especially with kind of minuscule or, again, seemingly arbitrary instructions for kids. We disobey our parents all the time when we're young. And so what, what happens with, with good parents? You, here's what doesn't happen. A good parent would not say, okay, we're done here. Good, not, good luck finding another dad or good luck finding another mom. <laughs> doesn't happen. If that does, um, might have, need to start a therapy fund down the road. Um, <clears throat> But no, that's not what happens with, when children disobey their parents and when how good parents respond. What happens? They move toward their children, not away from their children. They move toward them, maybe with a time out, maybe with correction, but they move toward them because what is underneath the correction is love. That's, what, that's the heartbeat behind this correction with good parents. That's the heartbeat behind... God's interaction and His correction of Jonah here. And this is good news because when we're suspicious and disobedient, and when we balk at God's commandments on our life, He doesn't run away from us. He doesn't leave us on our own. He doesn't neglect us. He shows us, like He's shown with Jonah, that He's anything but through with us, right? He's not done with us. And I, I want to just name, you know, our, our suspicion and disobedience to God is not getting on a ship and running away from the presence of the Lord, taking a nap while God uh, gets a storm around us, and God's correction of us, and we're not one of God's prophets, and, and God's correction of us doesn't look like um, especially swallowing us up uh, in the belly of a fish. So I get that, I just want to name that. But I also don't want us just to say, oh, this is a, this is a, pro- a prophet book in the Old Testament. That's Jonah, but not me. That's Jonah, but not me. So I just want to ask just a few questions to kind of try to 
help us identify with Jonah and not hold him at a distance? Do we balk at God and His call on our lives? Or do we run in the opposite direction when we're commanded to be holy or to show no partiality towards those around us? Do we run the opposite direction when we are told to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love our wives as Christ loved the church? If you're honest with, uh, with yourself, I, I hope that you can be honest enough to say, yeah, I, I see myself in Jonah. I see myself in Jonah. I do try to escape God's call in his life, and I, I am suspicious of him. Or maybe our running away from the presence of the Lord doesn't look like, like adamant disobedience, like getting drunk at a bar or something in public. But maybe it's, it's kind of cynical. Or maybe you've just grown up in church so long, like when we get to communion, you almost want to just roll your eyes because you still don't get it, how it nourishes us. Whatever it is. Maybe it's things in our hearts that even in these seats this morning is very easy to hide. We're still, that suspicion, the same as Jonah running away and trying to escape in God and his call. But here's the thing though we go to Tarshish every day, this is the, this, we wake up with this kind of suspicion whether we can own it or not. God's response to us is going towards us, He moves towards us. So if you hear anything, This morning, hear this. I want us to try to resist the urge. I don't know what your experience with God has been or in the church growing up. So I recognize this might be difficult for you. Resist the urge to see God as some sort of angry football coach that's giving you arbitrary instructions and correction and not see the love behind His instructions and correction in your life. See Him as the loving Father that He is. See Him as the loving Father as He is. Because God's so loving, He wants to get our attention, right? A loving storm. He's getting their attention. He wants to wake us up. So the first thing that we see, who is this God? He's the God who comes toward us, pursuing us by loving us with correction. Let's look at the next scene here. This this would be the second sort of point here. But what we see as we get more into this story... Jonah and the sailors keep talking about this storm. It's that severe. They want to know what kind of storm it is, who caused the storm, who is this guy who's sleeping, how crazy does he have to be to sleep through this storm. And so they ask Jonah, who are you? And I want to look down at verse 9, find verse 9 again, because this is, this is fascinating and it's actually really important and profoundly ironic. This is Jonah's response to the sailors when they say, like, how are you sleeping? Who are you? I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Listen to this. Who made the sea and the dry land. Do you hear the irony here? So Jonah is making a profession of faith. He's saying, I, I worship the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Jacob, the God of David etc., etc. I also worship the Lord who made the sea that we're literally floating on right now. Actually, I worship the God that I'm trying to escape. I worship the God. That's what what we should feel when we read that. Now everyone knows that Jonah is the cause of the storm now. And then in verse 10 we read... um, then the men were exceedingly afraid. They're still stressing out. What is this and that you've done? For the men knew that 
he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. They, they try to cast lots to see who caused the storm that falls on Jonah, and you know what happens next. They throw Jonah overboard. And this is how it would be easy, especially if you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard of this story before. But I just want us to slow down. Remember, this, this storm is so severe that we read it could threaten the, the ship to like disintegrate. That is the storm in the water that Jonah is floating in right now. And we have, we, visually, we have to see him floating around like a feather in this storm. So I, I, we, we need to feel the weight of that in order to feel the weight of what happens next when God sees Jonah so vulnerable. Look at verse 17. We've read this before. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's clear that Jonah is a feather in the sea and God knows it. And He sees Jonah very particularly, individually. He knows that there's no way Jonah is going to survive this. And by appointing this fish to swallow him up, again, God says to Jonah, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. And so just as we call the storm... God appointed a storm of love. We have to call this fish a fish of love, don't we? Fish of love. If God wouldn't have acted, Jonah wouldn't have survived. And we see all kinds of stories like this in our culture, don't we? We see the superhero genre and the war genre. There's always someone that gets to the end of themselves and someone swoops in last minute to save them. This is Lois Lane falling from the rooftop and Superman comes in the very last moment. This is why we have Gandalf and Aslan. It's why we love them. And I think, at least for me, the reason I love the superhero genre, although I think they might be making a little, they might be going overboard with making so many right now, but I, I, I have this impulse to want to go see, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I identify with Jonah and Lois Lane or whoever else is being saved. I want someone to come save me in that way. And so what we see, the first, so who is this God? The first thing we saw is that God pursues us uh, with loving correction. In this scene, we've seen that God pursues by saving. God pursues us by saving. Now, the, 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 the superhero genre is, is fictional. I get that. But I, I want you to think about people in your own life. Think back in relationships that you've had throughout your life. When you've been at the end of yourself, someone comes to you in just the right moment. If you're married, this probably has happened when you were dating with um, your now spouse. But maybe, maybe you had uh, some sort of sketchy party when you were a teenager and you called your dad and you were so scared of how he was going to react and he comes and he doesn't shame you and he drives you home. Maybe your sibling covered for you and your mistake without letting um, you get in trouble. Maybe you were falling apart and your roommate in college or your childhood best friend was the only one that knew why your facial expressions were the way that they were and how troubled you were. And they moved toward you and loved and they encouraged you. Where has this happened in your life? How has God come to you and lifted your head? And if you're a Christian here this morning, the fact that you're sitting in the seat here this morning is, is a testament to the fact that God has swallowed you up into His love. God has saved you. 
He's redeemed you with the blood of His only Son. And though you weren't being thrown around in a sea like Jonah, you actually were. You actually were. And God moved toward you. And here you are in this seat here this morning. Because God goes toward and pursues the wavering wanderer. Of course He does, because He's good. So what we've seen in this passage, kind of landing the plane here, we've entered into this familiar but admittedly crazy story. Crazy story. A story that actually I, I know myself and, and many people in our culture might be really allergic to. There's lots of supernatural things going on in this story with, with the fish, of course. I'm more suspicious of this God than the fish. I don't know if you are. So what we've seen when we've asked, who is this God that we're trying to run away from? We've seen that He moves towards us in love by correcting us and by saving us. But really, God's our rescuer. God is our rescuer. That's who this God is. The God in this passage is the same God who rescued His people out of the hand of Egyptian bondage. He's the same God who repeatedly tells His people, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's the same God who followed Adam and Eve around in the garden, who hovered the waters of creation. He's the same God who came down from heaven to save His people from their sins. And He's the God that even as we speak now, and as we sit here in this room, is making all things new. That is our God in this passage. Because God has always been trying to chase down His people, hasn't He? That's why the psalmist can say this, Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and shield, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me. If I go to Joppa, you're there. If I get thrown overboard, you're there. Right? That's who He is. God's plan has always been to swallow us up in His embrace and never let us go. Our God is our rescuer, and we're suspicious of this God. I'm suspicious of this God. You've got to be kidding me. He's our rescuer. This is a God worth trusting and worshiping. To conclude, many of you I know are familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I'm reminded of this in our large group series last semester I read this passage aloud at the end of one of my sermons I want to read it because I think that Sally Lloyd-Jones who wrote this is just an amazing writer you need to buy it it's, it's for children I, it's, it's so devotional buy it if you don't have it but this is, this is how she describes the story of the Bible so have God as our rescuer in mind as I read this just receive it no the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story 
of how God loves His children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers His name. He's like the missing puzzle piece. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. I pray for all of us, um, brothers and sisters, that no matter our experience growing up in the church, new to the church, burnt out by the church, bored with God's Word, bored with prayer, you look at 2018 and you don't, I don't know where you're at, that we would remind ourselves and each other daily that though we wake up with suspicion whether we admit it or not, God won't let us go because He pursues us. He's our rescuer. That's who He is. Let me pray for us. Lord, I do admit to You that I wake up with so much suspicion towards You. Your Word... Your call on my life. I know I'm not the only one. Lord, I do ask that You would help us see Your heart. Especially when You correct us. Convict us of our sin. When You stretch us in ways that's deeply uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that You would help us to hear Your voice of love in the correction. Lord, I also ask that You would remind us of how You have saved us when we were floating around in all kinds of storms and our rebellion. You came to us and You've swallowed us up. Remind us of our identity in Christ. Lord, ultimately when we read in the Scriptures and we come worship here this morning, I pray that You would renew our minds and give us a vision of the Scriptures and the Christian story and who we are and who You are, but ultimately that we would see You as our Rescuer, not a taskmaster. Not some parent that's going to abandon us, but someone who will never leave us or forsake us. Do this we ask through Christ. Amen.